from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm almost recovered, Michelle. Michelle's dead to us. And this is Mark. Michelle's suffering from <laughs> something worse than the flu. We still don't know what it is, do we? Neither do the doctors. They just said you have a mysterious virus. Go home and go to bed. So oh, welcome back. That was a week and a half ago, so almost there. Nice. Coffee is an amazing embalming fluid. Mm-hmm. I guess embalming is not the right word. Embalming, nice. No, actually, it's probably a pretty good statement, considering I felt like I was dead for the better part of the last week. shabum bum what up, <laughs> I said that one up really nicely. For you. Yeah, I know that's pretty good. <laughs> so uh, today, uh, you know, I uh, in my preparations. Oh, look, I'm sneaking. I was gonna say in my preparations, I forgot to ask your last name, Renee, but I actually have it because I'm looking on my email right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what looking at your notes actually exactly, does. Exactly right. It's a well. Oiled, oiled machine. <laughs> nice. You guys said that at the same time. Yeah. So, so Renee, uh, how's it going? Renee, are you there? <laughs> Renee, are you with us? Here's that well-oiled machine we were talking about. Renee, are you with us? Yes, sir. Okay, hi. Yay. I don't know what happened there, but we have started the show, and uh, <laughs> we just introduced you, too. It's already off the rails. Exactly. Can you, okay. hear, can you hear us? I sure can. Can well, you hear our blabber? No, she couldn't. No, she couldn't. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, yeah, you missed, so funny. you missed a really good blabber. Oh, uh, whoops. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> so Renee is known, at, or at least we know her, as a, as a zoning advocate for tiny houses, and um, that's what we're going to talk about. But before we talk about that stuff, Renee, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience in tiny house living? Um, well, my experience in tiny house living is pretty much nil. I have never lived in a tiny house. I have aspirations of being a, a tiny house owner, um, but I have never lived in one. In fact, um, I've really never lived in anything smaller than, I guess, a two-bedroom uh, apartment. Actually, my my apartment in Nashville when I was a grad student was a one-bedroom apartment, and that was actually really nice. I, I enjoyed that that space. So. Nice. Whatever you are doing in the last part of that statement with your microphone, do that for the rest of the show because you're fading in and out otherwise. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so so um, so you don't live in a tiny house, so why are you so interested in zoning? Okay, well, that's an interesting story. Um, Yay! I... <laughs> and that's the time we like to hear. <laughs> I did not start out to do this, so... I heard about the tiny house movement. I started investigating for myself and my family um, as just an option for us, for, for better quality of life, things like that. Um, and when I started asking around to some of the people that did own tiny houses, hey, you know, you know how is the experience? You know, where do you park this thing? That type of stuff. I usually got, um, they would either avoid my question completely or they would do some, some eye-darting and kind of looking around and like, well, and, and really no one could give me a straight answer when it came to where you can put a tiny house. So um, that was a real, a real big bummer for me. Um, I, I have a need or a want to be completely legal with my situation. I, I have no desire to run from the law or try to be discreet or, you know, or go under the radar or anything like that. That's just, it's very stressful. Um, to live like that for me. 
so that that really pose has no interest to me. So I thought, well, if there is any way that I'm going to, you know, get this, why don't I ask my city? You know, if if it's allowed, and if it's not allowed, how can we get it to be allowed? And, and really, it just kind of took off from there, and the conversation just started to morph into okay, you know, this is what zoning is, this is what building is, this is what these people care about, this is what these people care about, this is what we can change, this is what we can't change. And it's really been a very interesting and um, awesome learning experience of just how your local municipalities work and what, you know, what zoning is for and, you know, all that stuff. It's just been really, really interesting to, to learn about. And how, how, how long ago did you start interacting with your local agency? I had, I had first contact. I call it first contact with, <laughs> with the city um, February 4th, I think. February 4th of 2015. February 4th, 2015. Okay. And yep. um, are your children healthy? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> well, they touch with the aliens and then they just start birthing gotcha. thir- three-armed children. And uh, Okay. Anyway. Um, dun dun. <laughs> so, so, so you said that you, you, you got a lot of learning in how municipalities work and what uh, zoning is for. Why don't you um, uh, enlighten us? What, what is, what are, how do municipalities work? What is zoning for? And Perry's been drinking this morning. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure if he, he's drinking quite enough, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll just start talking here. There okay. So, <laughs> so, I mean, zoning came about um, early on, I think like the 1920s or something like that. And it, and it was really as just a means to try to make people happy. So, you know, you before it was kind of wild, wild west, you could build whatever you wanted, whatever, wherever you wanted. Um, and then, you know, you would end up with... Um, you know, I don't know, <laughs> uh, liquor stores next to schools and, you know, things that were just very undesirable, okay. factories right next to a residential area. Um, those types of things were happening and, and people were getting unhappy. And so that's when they started, you know, making ordinances and, and really trying to regulate, you know, what can be built on what pieces of property and then kind of looking more long term on how you can make that more effective and grow the city in a certain manner so that, the residents were happy. So that was, it's really about making the residents happy. And I know for a lot of people, it's, it's really interesting. A lot of people makes zoning makes them sad. You know, (laughs) they, they hear the word zoning and they're like, ah, zoning, you know, it's, it's terrible. And they can't, they won't let me do whatever I want. Um, and those people, uh, interestingly enough, if, if everybody was allowed to do whatever they wanted, they would probably be pretty sad about it too, because, the person next to them would be allowed to do whatever they wanted, and that would make them unhappy. Yeah, so, but it, so it's interesting that you say that, and I agree with you to some degree. But there seems to have become a tipping point at some at some point here in the history of zoning, where um, may I say, commercial interests have leveraged their influence on zoning to the degree that we now have these McMansions, and the zoning prohibits. The, I mean, it's the the reason why you're even involved in zoning. It seems like is that the zoning laws prohibit the type of structures that the tiny house community wants to see happen, right? Right. So so going one step further, so taking it one step further, you're right. Um, or, the original intent of zoning was to try to control and make people happy. and everything. So and then you start um, talking about people realize that zoning also helped them protect their property values. 
Um, and it actually was an asset to them when they went to sell their property. So, if, uh, you know, if you sold your property, you said, oh, you can build these things on this property and stuff. All of a sudden, your property was more valuable. And so people started realizing that. And that's where zoning kind of took off as more of a protective barrier for the value of the property. Um, and that's sort of what you're alluding to right there, which is, you know, now you have areas where they have minimum square footages of houses and yeah. stuff. And that's to, to try to keep... Um, a cohesiveness maybe of a certain neighborhood um, so that it's, it's aesthetically pleasing to the eye and then also protects the property values of those residents that are in that area. So, so in your mind, there's no, there's no intent on the part of builders to use zoning as a way to maintain their um, profitability. Well, I, I, I don't think I can speculate to, to there never being any um, any other motive okay. for zoning. I, I mean, I'm sure that there. I'm only hitting on maybe a couple of motives, but um, but I'm sure, yeah, that it's been um, influenced by builders. But the builders also get influenced by the buyers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what does the buyer want? The builder responds to it. And then he needs to get maybe different zoning. So then he goes to the zoning and the zoning responds because they're for the people. So it's really a big circle. And I don't know if there's really one person to blame for it. So yeah. I wouldn't necessarily point the finger back at the builders. Right. And I, I hope I don't didn't come off as pointing fingers. You came out just Yeah, like and that I wasn't. <laughs> Damn it. Well, there there is a monetary sort of aspect to this in that the taxes, the ongoing taxes that are collected by the municipality, it is based on the square footage of your house Thank largely. You. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a monetary um, piece of this. Um, mm-hmm. If you have this, you know, this town and you have to maintain the sidewalks and the fire department and the police department and your taxes, your tax base is based on the square footage of your house, you don't want people to have massive lots and te- <laughs> tiny teeny tiny houses because you're going to have so much infrastructure to get them from house A to house B more than you're collecting in tax. So there is a monetary, but I don't, again, I, I agree with you, however, I don't think that there's a fault necessarily right. involved. But I do have a question. So Hold it, let me, let me interrupt you. Sure. What was I going to say? No, I don't know. So what I was going to say was, so yeah, so the government is incentivized to keep the houses big, to keep the taxes bigger. Correct. Mm-hmm. The builders, you know, and look at the, you know, if you look um, at what's happened in Portland with the whole food cart movement, the restaurant association was asleep at the wheel. They just let it pass, and all of a sudden food carts are everywhere, and they're competing with restaurants. So all of a sudden these micro-restaurants are competing. So a similar thing with the home builders. It's like, well... They can only charge so much per square foot to build a home. So even though the, 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 the buyers may be demanding or wanting tire homes, you know, people that are building $600,000 brand new homes, they want those size homes right. at six hundred grand, not right. a little $35,000. That takes tiny. six people to build instead of a crew. And it's, done, and it's on wheels, so oh shit, try well, to tax right. that thing. Right, right. right. So, yeah, well, I'd like, I'd like to make a make another comment as well and I just but you are the guest so you we'll are the guest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my comment was yeah I Michelle you're right um, the system is set up that way so that that's how you collect taxes so that is the current system that we have and it's been working for us for a while 
Um, but now that there's a new movement towards maybe going a little smaller, so you had kind of urban sprawl for a while and people moving away from the city and getting bigger and better houses and, you know, better, better, quote unquote, right, better to them. Right. So bigger, big McMansion houses and stuff. So you've had these urban sprawls and now you're kind of seeing a pendulum swing back to coming back into the city, maybe doing a live work type of thing, getting smaller houses, better quality of life, utilizing what's around you. And what that's going to do is it's going to, you know, it's going to shift maybe the way that we handle property taxes or housing taxes and things like that. And maybe it won't be based on square footage anymore. And maybe that this is a good, um, a good opportunity to evaluate that system and see, well, what's a better way to support our city's infrastructure for, you know, fires and sidewalks and, uh, sorry, fire departments and sidewalks and, and all those things that we all use, what's a better way to support that than based on our square footage or our house? Right. And, and the, the dynamic <clears throat> that includes kind of the, the pirate activities of tiny housers who are doing this thing and scoffing at the law, uh, it, it's part of that part of that process where you have the early adopters kind of saying, right. giving the middle finger to the policy and just doing it, which prompts... Um, there was no middle finger involved in my building of my house. <laughs> I thought I saw a middle uh, finger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, so yeah, so the, I, I agree with you that the pendulum is swinging, and it's, a, it's, a, it's good to see that swing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, it's in, go ahead, Michelle. So um, I, I actually am famous for, for a multi-tiered question. The first half Take of notes. My, <laughs> yeah, Should I, I write this down? <laughs> so I do want to back up a step. Um, I do I, I want to back up a step, and I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about your motivation. Like, are, are you in debt with student loans? Are you looking to travel the world and quit your corporate job? So what was your... What was your aha moment or your real motivation to start even looking into the tiny house movement? What are the influencers? Tell us a little bit about the mindset that even prompted you to step this far outside your comfort zone. And then the secondary question, um, the second question is, when you went to talk to the zoning board, what was their response? What was that conversation like? Had they heard of tiny houses? And to what extent did you have to educate them? Okay. All right. Question number one, motivation. So, um, She's a good student. I like her. (laughs) I usually um, kind of go back to this one particular day where my husband and I were having a very chaotic, uh, just crazy day where we're running around ragged. The kids are yelling, screaming or whatever. The house is a disaster. Um, And we both both work full-time jobs. And it was just... Things were, things were a little chaotic and just, just kind of out of control. And I, my husband stopped and the kids are yelling and blah, blah, blah. And he stopped and he looked around and he's like, I just want my life to be as simple as possible. And then he like stormed off. (laughs) That sounded right out of South Park. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and he just stormed off. And of course, you know, my, my first reaction is to get extremely offended because I'm, comp- I'm complicating his life, as are my children, you know, so it, it was kind of, it was kind of like, well, what did you expect when you got married and had kids, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I might have thrown something, I don't know, so, and, and so it, it was just really, really chaotic, and, and then I got to thinking that night, you know, what did he really mean by that, what is it that he was trying to say, and just maybe didn't say it in the nicest way possible, um, <laughs> 
And and really what he was saying is that our life was just getting too chaotic and it was just getting too hectic and I I could feel it too. And so if I really looked at what he was, what the underlying meaning of what he was saying was, is that, you know, there's a better way to live. There's, There's a better way. There's a simpler way to live. And what is that? And let's work towards it and just get ourselves a better quality of life. So our motivation, Michelle, is mostly just increasing our quality of life. Well, so um, how many kids do you have? I have two. Um, just uh, one. My youngest just turned two, and my oldest just turned four. Okay. And and what is your what is your timeline for moving into a tiny house? Well, we don't really have a, a you know a, a drop dead date of like we need to be in a tiny house, but you know it, it's really just working the process and and because it, we we are interested in staying in the in the town that we are in. So that was a big part of going to the city was okay, you know. What are our options? Well, we could move someplace that is tiny house friendly and then build one there. Um, or we could um, maybe, you know, just, what, we had all these different options. And then we're like, but we really like it here. We want to stay here. And so let's try to make this happen here. And so that's where um, we went to the city. Okay. So quality of life. Okay. And then second question, the zoning response. So when I initially approached them, um, I did have, I had a strategy in mind and I, I encourage anybody that is going and talking to your zoning board to, to have some sort of strategy or some sort of plan, um, going into it. And and they're very busy people, um, being respectful of their time and coming in, looking prepared and looking, you know, for, for some sort of feedback on, on a, on a plan or a proposal or something to that effect, um, is encouraged, I think. Um, but having said that, I did have a little bit of a strategy, but as far as like a complete plan, I didn't have. So what I was looking for was more of a more of a suggestion from them on how to meet a goal. But I presented it as a goal. I said, "Look, city, we have a family goal of making a better quality of life for our family, and we think we can do that by downsizing our property house. Our house. It's just it's too much to take care of." Um, it's too much to clean. We're wasting money on these areas of our house that we don't even use. So I had, you know, a myriad of reasons of thing, you know, and then I opened it up to them. I said, you know, is there a way that we can build a small house here in the city? And, um, what are our options? How can, how can we meet this goal? Um, I'm looking to you as experts, you know, maybe you can suggest something, uh, something that I haven't thought of. And so we went back and forth and, they suggested maybe um, there are some really, really small houses. Rockledge, Florida is one of the oldest cities in Brevard County. So um, there were some small houses that have been grandfathered in. How small? Before. Um, there are, there's one that I think is just outside of Cocoa Village, which is, um, I think it's still in the Rockledge city limits. That's like you know, 350 square feet. But I'm talking like old, old, you know, like probably decrepit yeah. type of house. Something that you would want to just bulldoze over and probably build something else. But um, so I asked them. I, they said, well, there's some small houses there. Maybe you want to look into those. And I was like, oh, okay. So we could just bulldoze that down and build up something new. And they're like, no, no, no. We can't <laughs> um, anything more than 50% new construction um, on the house would be held under the current guidelines, which is a 1,200 square foot minimum for the house. Wow. So you could buy the house and get around that. So this is one option. You could buy a small house that's, you know, falling apart and do it in stages, right? So you get a permit to only do, you know, a quarter of the, or just do the kitchen or just do the bathroom, you know, and and you could eventually get a brand new house by doing them in sections like that and stay within that minimum square footage probably. 
Um, but that was not going to make our life simpler. Uh, <laughs> so we decided to, to not go that route. Um, but, um, so to, to really go back to answering your question, Michelle, um, the zoning response was at first they were a little confused and they looked at each other and they're like, wow, no one's ever asked us this. They always ask if they can build more or put an addition on their house or something like that. And the planning directors, I've been here 30 years and no one has ever asked me to go smaller. Um, than the, you know, allowed square footage. So, but they were intrigued and they, um, took me seriously and they answered all my questions very patiently. They allowed me to probe and just say, well, what about this? What about this? And they gave suggestions and, um, yeah, I mean, they were, I feel like they were very responsive to a need of a citizen. So, I just thought that was really good. Um, as far as education goes, they hadn't really heard of tiny houses at all. But from that meeting on, they went and researched it and actually started watching the shows. Mm-hmm. And so by the next meeting, they were like, hey, we've been watching these shows and it's really cool. And I see, you know, the appeal and those types of things. So they, they were, like I said, they were very responsive and um, open to being educated. That's great. Actually, you answered my next question, and that was, okay, so you had the original conversation. Um, Now, fast forward to where we are today. Um, Mm -hmm. You've obviously made some really good headway. I've read some pretty pretty impressive impressive, uh, um, articles about your progress. So you want to tell us where you are today and uh, what you're most proud of and um, if you have any regrets so far? Okay, status report. Um, okay, so where we are today is I have a developer slash builder that is looking into doing his due diligence. Um, we have a piece of property that has been picked out um, under contract and has been rezoned to allow for the tiny house community. We have submitted a site plan to the city and we've gotten their first round of comments back on it. And this is the part where it was starting to get a little bit, um, uh, so, so this whole process has been very much a roller coaster. So you're like, yeah, this is going to work. This is, everything's working. And then it's like the very next day you're like, oh, that's not going to work. Like (laughs) you get, you know, something, something else falls through or something is just like disappointing and you're like, this is never going to work. And then the very next day somebody else calls you back and you're like, oh yeah, this is going to work. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, but so the status is that we are working through the city's comments on, you know, um, things like uh, retention. So Florida has a very aggressive water retention requirement um, and runoff and stormwater and all those types of things just because of our high water table. Um, so that eats up a lot of land. So it's trying to balance a creation of a community with the requirements of the state of Florida as well as the city um, and finding a piece of property that's both affordable and then making housing on it that is also attractive okay. to it. Uh, so, Renee, I have to interrupt because we've missed, a, I think we've missed, based on what you're saying, I think we've missed a very large component of this story. Oh, okay. And I, so, what <laughs> so I, back it up. Yeah, just that's back it up for a second. That's my it fault. It sounds like, it's, it's okay, it, you didn't fall screw up. So it's, it sounds like you wanted you and your family wanted to build a tiny house, so you went to the city to explore, 
And then somehow the conversation went from one tiny house to a community. Is, is yes. That, okay. So. Yes. So that's, that's a big piece of the part. Exactly. So, okay. So let me back up a little bit. We'll talk about that part. So, um, I started pro- when I was asking the city about the current requirements and to me, the easiest way to get a tiny house is to work within the existing requirements and just try to find either loopholes or some way to meet the, re- the current requirements, but maybe, you know, tweak them a little bit. Yeah. So, so that's sort of where I was planning on going at the first. So they said the minimum square footage in the city of Rockledge was 1,200 square feet. And so I started probing and, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? 1,200 square feet, what does that include? Uh, does it include a garage? Does it include a back porch? What does that mean? And, you know, their, their answer was, well, anything under air. So it has to be air conditioned. Oh. Uh, and so I was like, okay. Um, and then I was like, well, can that be broken up into like two 600 square foot houses with maybe like a connected breezeway between them or something? Like, would that satisfy your minimum 1,200 square foot requirement? And they were like, huh. Oh, that's weird. You know, no one's ever asked us this or whatever. So they kind of conversed amongst themselves, like, you know, <laughs> and then they came back and they're like, yes, as long as it's, they're both on the same foundation. So as you laid out your foundation to build the house, they're kind of built as one structure and they might have, you know, separate kind of living quarters and be connected in some way, but it was on the same foundation. And I was like, okay, great. So let's take it one step further. <laughs> Could I build... Could I build three or sorry, four, 300 square foot houses, you know, and maybe make them in like a square <laughs> with connected breezeways between them and each one. Oh, and then back, sorry, back it up. They did say have one of the requirement for the, the two 600 square foot. They said one of them cannot have a kitchen uh, because yeah. you can only have one kitchen per one residential, you know, whatever. And, and I said, okay, well, what's, what's in a kitchen? <laughs> and they said, well, anything that doesn't, uh, you can have everything in a, that a normal kitchen has. You just can't have a stove. And I said, so a stove equals a kitchen. And they said, yeah. So I said, okay, but you can have like burners that you bring out and put on the top. You know, you can have all that stuff. You just can't have the oven part. And I said, yeah. So you can have everything else in a kitchen. So I said, okay. So then we went moved to the, okay, f- so now we want um, four 300-square-foot houses. And, and um you could kind of arrange them in a square and they could have a, you know, sidewalks or a breezeway between them and kind of be connected. And only one of them has a stove. And, and I was like, and then we could put like a little courtyard in the middle or something. I was just, I was just talking off the top of my head, you know, I was like, Oh, we could put like a little community garden in there and stuff. And as I was talking and I was saying this, I was like, Oh my God, what did I just describe? I'm like, I just described a pocket community that I just researched not too long ago, like a week before, um, that I read about in the Northwest that they were doing. And Ross Chapin is kind of the father of the, the pocket neighborhood. He's got a book out. And I was like, wow, this looks so beautiful and so awesome. And I was like, I would love to live in a community like this. And I was, and so, and I just kind of put that in my, in my brain and just filed it away. And I was like, wow, that's a really nice thing. And never really thought about it seriously. Um, or anything until I started talking out loud about this thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's just what I described. That's exactly what it is. Where you have a community surrounded by some sort of community space and everybody kind of accesses that community space and everything like that. And so I just brought out my phone um, and started pulling up pictures of what a pocket neighborhood looks like. 
And I showed it to the city and they were like, wow, this looks great. This looks awesome. You wanted to build that and we'll support that. Well, wait a second. But the, but the pocket community as built by that guy that you referred to, I don't think that all the structures share the same foundation. Oh, no, no, no. Exactly. And that's, but that's sort of where the, where the conversation, they said, well, we'll allow you to have these tiny houses, but you have to build them in a purposeful neighborhood. But how did they, how did they justify that given what they told you about the square footage and the under air and the oven and all that other stuff? Right. So that, that's where we went to create the new ordinance. Ah, okay. Go on. All that stuff, all that stuff that we talked about was allowable under the current ordinance. Right. Right, the one, but if we wanted to change something and create something bigger and more spectacular, we would have to create new legislation, and that's the path that we took. And the city was great, was um, okay with doing that. <laughs> you were going to say grateful, but then you changed to okay. Based, based <laughs> on so this is based on your request. So you didn't Correct. bring eighty-five <laughs> of your best tiny house friends with you. Yeah, or twelve thousand signatures. Exactly. This is this is really fascinating. Um, so to what extent did you ever have to like leverage the rest of the community or you just really pushed to inspire them um, to do something different? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I leveraged, but I did point to, because at the time um, I was a part of the uh, Facebook group, Tiny House Enthusiasts, Florida Tiny House Enthusiasts. That was the, really the only group that I was a part of at that time on Facebook. And I really kind of just pointed to that group and I said, look at all these people in Florida and how many people are in this, you know, Facebook group um, that are wanting to do this, Um, you know, and all these people are are looking for a place to settle down and put a tiny house and stuff. I said, there is a market out there. And then it was more education about, you know, what it's. What what is the market, and, and you know, is this something that that people are wanting? So um, I think the answer was yes. They saw it as yes. So I wouldn't say I leveraged like I didn't go out and get signatures or anything like that, or ask people to send letters in or anything like that. Um, but I did provide some people the opportunity. So then I I went ahead and created a Rockledge Tiny House Community Facebook group and had started people started doing that. And so on that uh, Facebook group, I would put. Um, if there was a planning commission meeting where they were discussing it or a city council meeting where they were discussing it, I would invite people to come to it um, just to show their support if they wanted to and if they could. Um, but at no time did I, yeah, did I really ask anybody. It was really just one citizen asking for this and then pointing to a market, and they responded. But, but, it, but the, the legislative process does, in Florida, doesn't it include having to have hearings, public hearings and notices? Yes. And, okay, so they did go through that process. Yes. Okay. Did you get any opposition? Um, no. I was surprisingly, there was, there was no opposition. Um, I, maybe there, there was, I think, one guy that um, the, the property that we're looking at um, <clears throat> putting the tiny house community on had to be rezoned. It was a commercial piece of property, and we had to rezone it to RMU, which is Redevelopment Mixed Use, which would allow for the pocket community. So we had to rezone it, and so you have to do public hearings and things like that. And there was one guy that showed up, and he was like, well, I think that it will increase traffic and stuff. And, I mean, the the city council was like, um, no, it's commercial now. Yeah. We're making it residential it will not increase traffic. He was just mad there was going to be anything built on that piece of property regardless. But they were pretty much were like, um, no, your point is not valid. <laughs> so, 
but everybody else has been, you know, was supportive and no one showed up to protest or picket or anything like that. No, not at all. In fact, it was very uneventful um, in that respect. Hmm. So um, has your husband maintained his support of this? And, and you know, he wanted a simple life. Um, is, <laughs> <laughs> somehow it seems that it sounds and feels like this may have sort of complicated your life in the short term. Is is he still a, a proponent of this? And I'm I don't mean to, you know, set you up for failure or anything, but uh so talk about the relationship and has he supported you? Does he go with you? Does he take care of the kids while you go on your adventures to the city? Yeah, so so um I I'm by personality, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go doer. Like I'm a, I'm, I like to have a full schedule. I like to do things. I like to go out and do and do and do. So I think I it's don't been know a anybody else like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's been, I would say it's been an ongoing struggle in our marriage in general, um, that he always feels that my schedule is too full. I always feel his is not full enough. Um, you know, so so I think it's always a sensitive a sensitive topic when I ask him if I can do one more thing. So it's it's, it's something I always approach, you know, with um, and tiptoe, you know, to him like, hey, I have this thing that I'm going to go to, and could you watch the kids? Well, you know that type of thing. So, um, but he's definitely he's definitely on board with the lifestyle. It is a a bigger project than I initially sold to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's also a bigger project than I sold to myself too. You know, it just sort of happened. It wasn't anything that I set out to do. Um, But after I had already kind of let people know and I, and things were going that now I almost feel pressured to succeed because people are counting on me. I hear you. (laughs) It just happened. So, yeah. So that the, the, the plan that you have specked out is for how many units, what price, uh, are you going to make any money off of the deal, et cetera? So that's the uh, the unicorn question, right? How much is the house going to be with the land and everything? So um, I, 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 hate to, I hate to even throw out a number. Um, we're not there yet. And what, what would happen if I did throw out a number and then it wasn't even close? You know, then people will be like, well, you said in this podcast that it was only going to be this much or that you said this and now it's down to, you know, that type of thing. So I would hate to throw out a number. But what I will allude to um, is that it's probably more than what you think. Okay, so you have all these Facebook posts and blogs and everything that's written like, build a tiny house for $5,000, you know, and live in it and stuff. And it's like, okay, well, that's, that is one option. If you can, you know, scrape up a bunch of pallets and, you know, <laughs> borrow nails from, you know, something. <laughs> Gotta give them back. Yeah, you could probably build a $5,000 tiny house with no running water or electricity or land or, you know, anything of that effect. Um, but the tiny house community that I would like to create is nice. Like I want high quality. So I want something that is going to last for a really long time, have nice finishes. Like I want to downsize, but not downgrade. Nice. My life. Okay. Nice. Oh, that's a, that's a great, that's a really, really great, uh, uh, <laughs> bullet point. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I don't want to downgrade. Like 
like roughing it for me, like that's not that's not me. Okay, that does not make my life simpler. That makes my life harder. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, I don't want. I want the niceties of technology. I want all the bells and whistles, like in the house and stuff, and, and in my community and stuff. And I want a really nice life with with a high quality of life. Um, so the community that I would like to create, you know, it, it might not be what some people are looking for. So, I know a lot of people have a motivation of being very affordable, and for them, affordable might be twenty five thousand dollars well, for everything outdoor. Right. Right. So I and I know you don't want to put a price out, but as as the as one of the co-hosts of the Tiny House podcast, I will say to the listeners that you can't hold Renee to the price that I'm going to hold her to say. <laughs> so are you talking are you saying Renee like 200,000, 150,000 for these houses or more like 90,000 or 80,000, which is what you'd probably pay for Zilvardo Tiny House. So in in the city of Rockledge, um I I think very attractive price point for what this community could be. Um, I think a very attractive price point. Owning the land with a house on it, um, foundation house, with all the landscaping and niceties of the community and that type of thing, I think a very attractive price point might be like 99000 Okay. Okay, okay. That might, I think that's a very attractive price point for the city and for all the other, you know, housing around it. Um, so we're going to try for that. I have no idea if we're going to even come close. And so. are these are these going to be on foundations or on wheels or what? So the city has allowed uh, for 25% <laughs> of the community to be on wheels. Wow. That's pretty progressive. That's very yeah, cool. so you can, most of the houses will be on foundation, and in fact, all could be on foundation. You don't have to have right. any on wheels, but you're allowed to have up to 25%. And the reason is because they did see, you know, a need for people yeah. like that are looking for a place to put their house, and they want a long-term place. They're not, you know, people that are transient. They want a place to sit down, you know, put their house down for a while and set up roots and those types of things. So they, they saw that need. Um but they also wanted to. They also had the concern of the transient lifestyle. They said, "Well, we don't want you know if, if somebody wants to come in and then leave the next weekend or whatever, or go away for the weekend and then come back in. Um, you know, we don't want that. We want this community to be lasting and sustainable and something that is going to remain nice and cohesive and those types of things and stuff. So, how can we do that? How can we make that happen but still allow the wheels? And so we we went through some discussions and. What we came up with was um, requiring front and rear porches on all the houses, including the tiny houses on wheels. Attached? So Michelle, Attached? Yeah, so, exactly. So, Michelle, if you were to buy a piece of property and you were one of the people that had the tiny house on wheels, you would pull your house in, and then you would be required to build a front and rear porch on your house, and that kind of locks you in from leaving for the weekend uh -huh. to take off with your tiny house and then coming back in. Um, so it would be, have to be something that you would tear down when you are ready to sell your property and to leave um, for long term, and then you'd have to build it if you ever came back. But um, that prevents that type of transient lifestyle and creates a really strong community with strong ties of people that stay there for a while. So the, so the person who has a tiny house and wants to live in your community would just buy the land? Correct. Could someone buy the land and rent the land to a tiny house owner? I think we're probably going to put that in the HOA. It, it's something that we need to talk about, but um, I'm really not interested in doing a lot of rentals just because 
what ends up happening is you have a, a neighborhood that has the rentals in it, and then you don't get that strong community. The people that don't, they usually don't care about the community facilities <clears throat> and stuff. Um, and I'm not trying to throw all renters, you know, under the bus here and say they don't care, but if you look at the the neighborhoods that have mostly rentals in them and stuff, I mean, you can just tell the people that they just don't have the type of love and consideration for the property as the people that actually own it. So, so, so what we're talking about really is um, you're building a community, but we're also maintaining a sense of autonomy between the mm-hmm. individual owners. Which right? I like. Yeah, right. and, and I think that that's really a key point here. You know, there are are lots of different flavors of tiny house communities and the ones that sing kumbaya over the fire every Wednesday night. <laughs> and the ones that, you know, um, so there's lots of different kinds of communities. So I'm really impressed, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're building the community, but still vested interests and yeah. still a, a very defined sense of autonomy, of ownership, um, there's no confusing LLC who owns the main house. Is that right. correct? So you've been right. Yeah, that's correct. And in fact, there w- there won't be a main house. I mean, everybody has their own house. Right. There will be a. Th- what I'm trying to get is a community building. Um, there was some discussion early on about you know, do we need a community building? Do we not need a community building? And the to me, the purpose of this neighborhood, and, and something that I envision in my head when I see this neighborhood, is that that sense of community. I really want to invoke that old-timey sense of being neighborly. And I feel like, you know, the pocket style where you have the community center kind of in the middle and all the houses face inward. So they're all going to be facing this community, this community um, open space. And everybody will have those porches. And you, so you hang out on your porch. And as people, you know, walk by in the community area, you say hi. You might stop up for a good lemonade or something or a cup of coffee and talk or, to your Or a doobie of weed. So, but you would really talk to your neighbors and you would love your neighbors and you would care about your neighbors and your neighbors would care about you and you would feel comfortable saying, Hey, I need to run to the store real quick to grab some milk. Will you watch the kids? They're out here playing in the open area, uh, for the next half hour. And do you need anything at the store? Just, I feel like that type of interaction is something that I'm missing in my life in the current neighborhood that I'm in. Right on. I feel like, I feel like these big mansions that we're in are really designed as our own little separate fortress. They are, kind of I think. Keeping us away so. from, from the world. You know, you've got this 2,000-square-foot two, house that has enough food to last for two weeks, so you don't even <laughs> have to leave your house if you don't need to. You know, you've got, you've got everything yeah. that you need in there, including a, a movie theater and, yep. and, you know, whatever else. And so you don't even have to leave or talk to your neighbors. You yep. come right home, you pull into the garage, you shut the garage, and there's no interaction whatsoever. Yep. Then, and I'm really, I'm really missing that. Yeah. So uh, um, is your property away from that train we keep hearing? Is my property away? <laughs> um, the property is, it's, uh, yeah, so I'm at work right now. Um, my The property is probably a mile from the railroad tracks. I see. And so so this, the, I was just being funny with that one, I guess. So that, that didn't happen. Melted on the ground. Melted on the ground. But, um, <laughs> so, so, the, so I'm interested, the, you know, the, the tiny house, the, the tiny house, owners that we've spoken to I think would love the kind of community that you're that you're putting together and Mm -hmm. the price point you know we're not holding you to it but um some of the tiny houses that some of the owners of the tiny houses that we know built 
tiny houses of that magnitude. Yeah, yeah. Um, 80, 85,000 yeah, 85, for yeah. some of the larger, yeah, I, some of the yeah. 20s like I said, and 30s. I, I, do think that, I do think that there is a certain population of the tiny houses that have the same, same motivation as I do. Well, so, so, well, so, so are you, so, so you're going to build these tiny houses and then sell them, or are you encouraging people to bring their own? And if so, do the HOAs put some sort of restriction on the style of the tiny house or the or any of that? Okay, so um, the way that I was going to go about this, and so I know you had asked the question, like, am I going to make a profit off of this or anything like that? I was going like, to get back to I that. Have, mm-hmm. I have no um, – interest in making any money or anything like that i want a tiny house (laughs) for me i want a tiny house for me how do i have to do that or how do what do i have to do to get my tiny house okay so we have to build a community okay well how can i help do that well i'll source and find a builder and try to sell to them that this will make them some sort of money and that they would have some interest in it so that's sort of what i've done is i've 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 been the source uh, person to gather all the people required to make this community happen. I'm taking no commission. There's no money in this for me whatsoever. My motivation is for me and my family to get our tiny house. And if this is what it takes to do that, then that's what I'm doing. So we, um, what I've done is I've, you know, found a builder who is interested in this project and investing in it. Um, they're not going to be making a lot of money at all. I mean, I think most um, developers um, or builders, you know, they're looking for more like a 26% to a 30% profit okay. on things. And in this day and age, like right now, it is definitely um, their market. Like they're making a hand over fist money. There's lots of booming development going on. So it's really hard to find someone to be interested in something that's A, never been done before, B, very risky. Um, they don't really know what the market is. They're guessing and they're kind of looking into it, but they're like, will these really sell? I have no idea. Um, and C, someone who wants to sp- spend their time making such piddly money on this tiny, tiny project when they can you know, make a million dollars building another Publix uh, shopping center. Yeah. So it, it was really difficult. Um <clears throat> The demographic of person that I was really looking for is maybe somebody that's getting closer to retirement or, you know, and is, was just tired of doing cookie cutter stuff and wanted a fun project or something. So, so I did find somebody that was interested. This person is still doing out numbers and trying to make things work at an attractive price point. And, you know, like I said, we're trying to work through some comments with the city and seeing, you know, what we can do and what they can give on and what we can give on. So we're still, still um, dealing with that. But yeah, I'm making no money on this whatsoever. Awesome. Well, this is a lovely story. It's fantastic how, how far you've come and how your, your vision has changed for, for, to benefit all of the tiny house community. I applaud you on that. And, and with that, she's doing it. Yes. And with that, we'll tell our listeners to tune in next week for yet another fantastic tiny house podcast in which we will be talking with the king of manure. Oh, great. Ah, Joe human, Jenkins. Joe Jenkins, you manure. manure. Yeah, yeah, awesome. We'll be doing number I'm really two. glad I didn't have to follow him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be... Well, well, a lot of people feel that way. Exactly. Poor Joe. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, so, thanks so much, Renee, for being with us. And thank you, Tiny House listeners, Tiny House podcast listeners, for continuing to come and listen to our show. See you next time. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sitecast. 
Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. 